0: Please stand as you are able for the reading of today's lesson from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, Your peace will rest on that person, but if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for their laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of God for the people of God. Speak to God.
1: Thank you so much, Linda, for reading our lesson today. Uh, it's so good to be in worship with you on this beautiful Sabbath day. Uh, we have some friends, I think, who are with us, who are visiting with us. I believe James King is here. Is James here in the house somewhere? Where is he? James? How'd you get that good seat in the back? That's the best seat in the house. Uh, the King family, some of the finest, they might be related to you, Toy, I'm not sure, but James and Charmaine and Cannon are some of the best friends that I've ever had. They come from Waverly, Tennessee, uh, which is where our people come from. And it's great to see you, uh, Jimmy, and your family as well. Um, Ronald Cole Turner, are you here? Is Ronald here? There you are over there. You're. Phil, you're usually up in the balcony You've moving up in the world. It's good to see you. Uh, Ronald Cole Turner uh, is the brother of Jan uh, Jameson, who's a member of our church. Ronald Cole Turner wrote a hymn that's in your hymn book called Child of Blessing, Child of Promise. We sing it almost every Sunday, and wouldn't you know. Yeah. Wouldn't you know the day you show up, we don't sing that hymn? But we had 52 baptisms last year. We sing it almost every week. And uh, it's so good to see you and to welcome you into this place. That hymn, Phil told me, was written, Jan, for your niece in 1981 at the time of her baptism. And he's been used across the church ever since. So it's good to see you, my friend, and we welcome you. To our Stephen ministers, we're especially grateful for you. Uh, There are many in the house who have been with us at all four services this weekend. And if you are an active Stephen minister or a leader or are taking a break from Stephen ministry but have been trained, we want you to stand because we want to thank God for you. Would you stand, Stephen ministers? Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. So, you'll be shocked to know that we're not reading from the book of Proverbs today. This is the first time in almost three months we completed our series last week, the 10-week series called Wise Up. And now that you're full of wisdom, we're moving on to a new series that we're calling We Q. Now, when you saw your bulletin and you see the slide on the screen, it's a little bit curious. You probably recognize the letters EQ, right, which are capitalized. It means emotional quotient or emotional intelligence. Daniel Goldman has written a lot about that in the last 15 years. But we, we really know more about IQ than EQ. That's the intelligence quotient. In fact, we have developed all of these standardized tests that are supposed to help measure our mental capacity, or our cerebral acuity. Uh, High school students know this because every Saturday almost in the fall, they're preparing through these ACT, SAT exams, which will to some degree determine the college that they attend. And IQ is very important. But I'm coming to the point where I believe that EQ may be more important than IQ. And you say, what do you mean, emotional intelligence? I'm talking about the capacity to be empathetic. I'm talking about the ability to be aware of what's happening around you. I'm talking about the ability to be attentive I've been studying a French mystic from the 20th century named Simone Vale lately who said, and I agree, that the richest and purest form of generosity is attentiveness. And it's the hardest thing to give. Have you ever been in a room somewhere where someone was speaking to you and while they were talking to you, they were looking at everybody else in the room except for you? that lacked that kind of generosity. That's EQ. In the logo, we have added a variable, as you can see, the little W, italicized W. looks like a math equation, almost, because when EQ becomes WeQ, when emotional intelligence becomes plural or collective or communal, like this, the upshot of that is exponential. When the community exhibits compassion, when the community exhibits, demonstrates mercy and grace and justice, it can be transforming. I don't know if you saw it, but Brian Hicks, who is our director of our community development, Harvest Hands, many of you are involved, volunteer. After, what, 10, 12 years, they had a banquet the other night couple of weeks ago now, and they were recognized by the city of Nashville as being the nonprofit organization that was the finest in Nashville. And they not only received the commendation, but they wrote them a check for $25,000 that goes… That's some good EQ right there, isn't it? That goes to this ongoing EQ ministry that was born in this place. And so now we're entering into deep fall. We're coming into stewardship and thanksgiving. And I want to invite you to contemplate, to consider your role in the WeQ of the mission of the church. So for the next six weeks, uh, we're going to be very prayerful about what is my part in that? What is your part in the work of God's kingdom in and through this blessed community? Now to the text. You may have noted in the text that was read for us, that Linda read for us, that Jesus is not a solo hero leader. Did you notice that? In other words, Jesus didn't come into the world to do all the work of ministry by himself. But what he does is he comes, he lives, he breathes, he eats, he invites and engages and employs others to do the exact same kinds of things that he's been doing in fact it's interesting john 14 verse 12 said jesus said you'll do greater things than i did because as adam prayed for us because of the power of the counselor uh, the holy spirit now a chapter earlier in luke chapter 9 jesus commissioned the 12 to do three things to heal to cleanse and to preach And the intriguing thing to me about that particular text is that Jesus sent the 12 out to serve before they ever made a profession of faith in him. Have you noticed that? I mean, Simon Peter was sent out to serve before he ever made the first profession of faith in Christ as Messiah. Jesus called him in Luke 9.1 and sent him And in Luke 9, 18, he makes the profession. Now, that's odd. What does it mean? I think it means this. Jesus reveals himself to us in the mission, not just before the mission, not just after the mission, but in the going, in the doing of ministry, Jesus reveals himself. I I think you can go one step farther than that. I think you can say, that you can't really understand who Jesus is until you do what Jesus does. It's in the doing. It's in the going. Stephen ministers know this. I remember when our children were small, taking them to curriculum night, and I remember a sign, Sherry in the school, that said, tell me and I forget, show me and I remember. Involve me and I understand." And Jesus does that. In chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 70, and watch this. This is not a select few. These are not extremely special gifted people because he intends for every disciple that he calls to also be sent. In fact, isn't it interesting that the word disciple in the Greek, it means student or learner. And the word apostle means one who is sent. And so which is more important? Is it more important to be a student of Jesus or to be sent by Jesus? Yes, is the answer. Because the truth of the matter is you learn best by doing. Now, in the 20th century, in the late 20th century, when I went into the ministry, it was about 1983 we were living in a very corporate culture, very professional culture. And and I think that we got the idea in the church that the professional clergy were to do all the ministry and the lay people were to receive ministry and or to critique ministry from time to time as the case may be. But in the early church, there was no division. There was no qualitative separation between laypeople and clergy. There was no double standard. In fact, did you know that the word for laity in the Greek language, you know what it is? It's laos. That means chosen of God. It was later that the word laity became an expression for persons not qualified in a given profession or laos, one who didn't have specific knowledge or expertise in a certain subject. So like when you go to the doctor and they give you the diagnosis, you say, doc, can you give it to me in layman's terms? But there's no such division in the early church. Later in the New Testament, as the church moved into the second century, there were specific standards. There are guidelines for clergy leadership and ordination. You can find them in the pastoral epistles. But the fact remains that in the Jesus movement, every person who is called is also sent. It is by design that one of our core values at Brentwood United Methodist Church is we believe in the priesthood of all believers, not some believers, We believe that every person who follows Jesus is to be engaged in the mission. Brian McLaren, who wrote A Generous Orthodoxy, said it like this, it's not about the church meeting your needs, it's about joining the mission of God's people to meet the world's needs. And that takes EQ, communal, The commission of the 70 is unique to Luke. You won't find that in Matthew, Mark, or John. It's not there. You find it only in Luke, the commission of the 70. Why 70? Well, it's interesting to note in the 10th chapter of Genesis that there is listed a litany of 70 nations, and this is a way of saying this is a universal gospel. This is going to every tribe, every nation. Some translations, like your NIV, they say 72, Nations. The Hebrew text says 70. The Greek translation is the Septuagint. And history tells us, it may be legend, but there is a history that says that from the 12 tribes of Israel, each tribe had six scribes that met together to translate the scripture from Hebrew to Greek. Six times 12 is 72. You may also recall that in Numbers 11, Moses picked 70 elders to share in his work and that they also had the gift of prophecy and that according to Exodus 24, these 70 elders accompanied Moses to Sinai, to the mountain of God. And so this may be Luke's way of saying, Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the new deliverer. Jesus is the Messiah of God, but he doesn't do it all by himself. He chooses 12 and then 70, and then notice, he sends them out in pairs. So he doesn't send out solo hero leaders either. He sends them out two by two. Why? Because in the first century, in order for a testimony in a court of law to be credible, it has to be confirmed by two witnesses. In addition to that, you can imagine the rigors of travel in the first century demanded collaboration. It demanded partnership. It demanded it. It was iron sharpening iron. Partnership is critical to sustainability. And I think this is exactly the reason that Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name… I'll be with you, because it's not just EQ, it's weak you, it's weak you. Now please notice in this commissioning story that Jesus gives specific instructions for the mission, and I think these are worth repeating because I think they're still germane. I think they're still as relevant today as they were in the first century, still applicable. In fact, there are seven Instructions. This is a seven point sermon. Don't worry, I'm going to give a minute to each of them. And then I'll work towards a conclusion if you're attentive. The first instruction is this the text affirms the world needs the mission of the church. The world that we live in needs the church to be in mission. When Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, the fields are ripe for the picking, what he's saying is the world still needs the gospel as much as ever. But he says, he adds, the laborers are few. And what he means is there is more work to do in the kingdom than we have workers to do it. The second instruction is the text affirms the need for prayer in the mission of the church. So when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, you expect the next line to be, so you need to ask for volunteers. You need to hang a shingle, a sign outside on Franklin Road that says, help needed. You need to tell your people it's time to step up. But that's not at all what Jesus says. He says you need to pray about it. Ask the Lord to send out the laborers, into the harvest, and what that means is that missionaries are never self-appointed. You were God-called. Somebody has encountered Jesus. You've been tapped. You've been nudged by Jesus to go to B244 after the benediction because God is working on your heart and wants to use you as a, a part of the mission of His church. In fact, if you do that you will be an answer to someone else's prayer who is praying for laborers. The third thing is this. Jesus is very honest about the struggle of the mission. I I, I think I missed this in seminary. I don't think I was there on the day that these words were said. I am sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves I miss that. You know what he means? This ain't easy. This is going to be risky. You need to expect conflict. You need to expect that there will be a cross, but don't let that stop you. You will find yourself occasionally in your discipleship feeling vulnerable. You may even feel defenseless and exposed, but don't turn back. Don't resist. In fact, Jesus said it in the passage right before what was read. Whoever puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not fit for the kingdom of God. The fourth thing is this travel light. In other words, don't overpack for this kingdom journey. Don't don't fill your life so full that you have no time for God. Don't pack your schedule so full that you have no time for worship or for prayer. Don't get so obsessed with the accoutrements and accessories that you neglect a purpose. I remember a few years ago going to Jordan, to Amman, Jordan. And when we got there, there were eight of us who went with world relief, and everybody got their luggage except for me. And I looked and looked. It wasn't there. When I got back to Nashville eight days later, it was safely in the Nashville airport. I had unwrinkled clothes for a week and a half, but I wasn't very happy that first day. It never got there. If it were not for my son and his hand-me-ups, I think I might have gone naked the whole trip. But there was something really good about it because I learned how little I actually need to be content. I learned that I don't need everything that I want, but I need everything that I need. I did notice the last part of the trip that I ate most of my meals at a table by myself, and I couldn't figure that out. (laughs) But it is what it is. Number five. When you enter the household, when you enter a household, speak peace, shalom. It means well-being. It reminds me of something else Jesus said in his signature sermon, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. And then he adds, stay in the first house that you're invited to. Don't move from house to house. Don't look for better accommodations and eat whatever they put in front of you. Don't dictate the menu. Don't impose your own cultural background on others. Number six, be careful how you measure success. Boy, this is really important. You're not always going to succeed in the way that you imagined or in the way that you hoped. In fact, there will be some places that you will not be welcome because of your faith. There will be those who may turn you away. Some won't listen. And when that happens, Jesus is very specific. Wipe the dust off your feet. Now, when I first read that, I I thought, that sounds a little judgmental to me but it's not. What Jesus is saying is, your job is not to judge but to proclaim, but shaking the dust means I am not responsible for your lack of response. You are not responsible for the lack of response Our response is simply in scattering seed. You can't root them. You couldn't do it if you tried for somebody else. But you can love them. It's weak you. That's what we're looking for. The seventh thing, this is the final thing. I love this best of all. After all those guidelines and instructions to these who are waiting to go forth, Jesus says, whatever happens, know this. Just know this. Whenever you participate in the mission, it may be a struggle, but you will know that the kingdom has come near. You'll know it in your going, in your sharing. So stick with it. I did a funeral this past Wednesday for a woman in our church who died of Lou Gehrig's. I mentioned her last week. Her name was Marie. The service was on Wednesday. She she was known for her EQ, her empathy and compassion, especially for children. In fact, she and Kevin adopted two beautiful children from Miriam's Promise. They are 14 and 11 today. She loved to host parties at her home for neighbors. She would do it for any occasion. She would do it for Halloween or birthday or if somebody lost a tooth, whatever, they would have a party. And she was also famous for having party favors so that the children could always take something home as a memory of joy. About a month before she died, she called her friend, Misty, to come see her. And she said, I I know I'm not gonna be here much longer, but I want you to do me a favor. At the funeral, I want you to have party favors so that when the benediction is given, everybody receives something as a memory. She said, I'll do that, but what do you want? She said, I want a rock, and on that rock I want printed, Joshua 1 verse 9, be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God will be with you. And so we did what she said. As people were leaving, everyone left holding on a piece of that rock and the assurance that it gave. And every one of us knew that the kingdom was very near. In her life, in her death, in her life beyond death, still engaged. in that EQ became WeQ. WeQ. There's one other word. This afternoon, we're going to have what's called the blessing of the animals. Um, I I love dogs. We've had dogs all of our lives. Wish I had one now. We don't have the time. Does anyone want to time share a dog with a… I Sherry and I, we love dogs. We've had them all of our lives. I, I read three or four weeks ago about a dog whose name was Zeus. How about that? Greek god, Zeus. It's a little puppy, nine months old, who was out playing in the yard with the kids to whom he belonged. And the 10-year-old, whose name was O'Reilly, noticed the pup suddenly jumping towards him. He seemed to be attacking something on the ground. The boy thought it was a rope, but it turned out to be a coral snake. And Zeus was doing his best to keep it away from the kids. One of the other children came up to see what was happening, And Zeus positioned himself between the snake and the children and then intuitively, I suppose, laid down on the snake and used his body to smother the predator. The dog went limp, and when the family turned him over, they found the dead snake. It had bitten the dog four times, but not before he saved them, said the reporter. Who wrote the story, there must have been something instinctive in the mutt that caused him to be willing to do love's work for the sake of the kids. Of course, he didn't survive the venom, but he saved the children. That's a special dog. It's a special breed, I suppose, with a high EQ, who was just willing to lose himself so that others could be rescued. Between these two commissioning scenes, Jesus made a similar point. He said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake, you're going to save it. And is it me, or does that sound like a mission statement? When I look at you, I see a special breed. You're the laos of God. You're chosen. You've been picked. You're a, you're a royal priesthood, says First Peter. You're a, you're a holy nation. You're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have a mission. When EQ becomes WeQ, the results are exponential, they're redemptive, they're transformational, and you will know in the going and doing that the kingdom is very near, you'll know.